Amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, book of Philippians tonight. Thank you guys for a great job, awesome job singing. Luckily, your words were on the screen. Man, when the adults weren't singing without their words on the screen, I was like, please have the kids' words on the screen. And they did, and y'all sounded better than the adults did. Dave would probably agree. Um, no, I'm kidding, and we all. Uh, excited about everything that's been going on downstairs. A lot of practice for that. Also, a lot of practice going into the Christmas program. Go ahead. I don't have the time out. Let me fact check. December 12th at 6 p.m. Go ahead and put it on your calendar. Children's program coming up way too soon. But it is coming up. December is almost upon us, and the kids are going to be here. I've been hearing them practice. They're doing a great job with their speaking posts, with their singing posts, and really seeing God work and pull that together. And I don't want you guys to miss it. Be sure you're here for that. Come for the adult one, too. Um, I'm not, you know, neglecting what the adults are doing. I'm just saying that I'm down there, and I know the kids are working hard, and y'all better be here. I'm going to be heartbroken about that. Um, also, public shout-out. Never thought I would do this. Really breaks my heart to have to do it. But Thanks to Aaron Brown and Robbie for covering me uh, last week. Uh, I was down at the funeral, and I've heard nothing but great reviews from the kids about them being downstairs, taking my place. Now, I did ask Aaron to moderate, to do game time and all the unimportant stuff like that, and I chose a respectful man like Robbie to take care of the message. But, I mean, whatever, whatever. I'm thankful anyway. I'm grateful for what Aaron uh, did down there, and I believe Robbie said that there was three people went out and, uh, well, asking questions about salvation and about coming to know Christ as the Savior. Man, I tell you what, it's awesome to work in a ministry, especially with the kids, where you see tender hearts coming to Christ. And not every week do we see somebody get saved and make a profession, but we are seeing weekly people asking questions, wanting to know more about God, whether that be in a salvation sense, as in they're asking, how do I be saved and how do I go about this? Or whether it be simply them saying, God, uh, how do I go closer to God? What does a relationship with God look like at this age? And how do I begin to develop that? And I'm thankful for everybody who's down there, but I'm also thankful for those of you who are up here consistently praying that God works down there. And in case you're wondering, he definitely, definitely is. Um, Without much more ado, let's go ahead and turn our attention towards the scripture and towards the word of God tonight. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into what I have uh, for us tonight from the book of Philippians. Uh, God, we do ask now that the singing's over and that, uh, God, the majority of the opening is over. We pray that you would meet with us here, God. Take away our distractions. Take away those things which may draw our attention, God, and pull our attention wholly upon the word of God and upon you. God, it's our desire not to simply waste 30 minutes in a room. Nobody came to listen to me, God. We're here tonight to hear from you. And we ask, God, that you would meet with us. God, once again, just draw our hearts and our minds towards you. And allow the message to be applicable to each and every one of us. Be with me as I preach, God. I pray you just uh, allow me to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and that I present only what you have for us. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you guys are hobby people? Like you have hobbies, right? I didn't think I was. But I began to think about all the things that I guess I have to qualify as a hobby, right? Like... I guess, because it's not something that I, I do professionally, but it's consistently taking up my time. And so I guess that equals a hobby. Um, so going back, I, I have a hobby definitely uh, growing up and 
even a little bit now, not as much as it was, but I love to shoot my bow, uh, not necessarily to always prepare for hunting, just for the sake of being able to say that I'm decent at shooting a bow, and that's all it is. I'm just decent. I'm not great. I'm no all-star out there. Bobby's probably could still outshoot me. I doubt he's touched his bow in years and years, but I like to shoot my bow, but it's definitely a hobby. That's all it is. It's just a hobby. I ain't shooting in no competition. I can't guarantee that I'll hit every deer, but it is just simply a hobby. Uh, I, I like to play guitar, and I used to be really progressing and getting better at guitar. Now my guitar is covered in a nice layer of dust, chilling, leaning up against the gun cabinet. And that's where it's been sitting for a while. I used to make fun of all you guys that play guitar in the church. I was like, yeah, they, they don't play guitar anymore. They, they knew when they was my age how to play guitar, but then they just put their guitars down. I never put my guitar down. Now y'all playing in church and my guitars by the gun cabinet. So I guess that's how it goes. That's a hobby. I have several other hobbies. Uh, one of them is knife sharpening. Um, now that one I'm in practice for. I'm not sharpening your knives. It takes too long, but I am in practice for, and I love to sharpen knives. My wife will get annoyed. She hates the sound of the knife on a whetstone. Just drives her absolutely crazy. And we'll sit down to watch a movie or something, and I'll just grab a whetstone and go to start sharpening. She's like, pause. I'm like, what? She's like, you can't do that while we watch a movie. And I'm like, what? Like, I'll be paying attention. I can watch and sharpen. I just need to feel it. And she's like, no, the sound. Uh, she'll be sewing or something, and I'll just be sharpening and go by 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and she'll be like, you got to be done sharpening for the night. That sound is killing me. And so, But I love sharpening, and I'm definitely not the greatest at it. Uh, my grandfather, who just passed, was perhaps one of the best knife sharpeners I've ever seen in my whole life. He could take drunk knives, make them razor sharp, crazy. But I enjoy doing it. I got these hobbies. And I'm fine with people having hobbies. I encourage people to have hobbies. One hobby that I want to shut down, though, is like... DIY construction people. They just, I mean, they kill me. For those of you who work in construction, how many of you have seen something that a homeowner, and I'm not talking about a homeowner who knows what they're doing. I'm talking about a homeowner who does not know what they're doing, has attempted to fix something, made it worse, and then you come in to fix. Now, not the problem. But the problem that they fixed, and you're fixing the fix and the problem all at once. I am so tired. I'm like, please, look, here's my number. If you ever have anything go wrong, call me before you touch it. Look at this paint job I did. I need you just to simply just touch up a few spots. I can't touch up, a, a, you know, a three-year-old art project. There's no touching up to that. That's, that's bad. Look at this drywall. I can't touch up your waves, man. I don't need to float that. I need to redo it. Check out my tiles. I'm like, is there a bike ramp or a floor? Like, what tiles? How am I supposed to touch this up? Like, grout hides a little bit, but I can't hide that much. Help me out here. Please, please stop touching stuff. Just don't work in your house anymore, right? Because there's a difference in a pastime and a profession. When you're taking something as a pastime, you don't have to be good at it. No. In fact, it doesn't matter if it's just your pastime. For me with my bow, it, I, can, I can have a pastime with my bow and not be able to shoot both anything. Yeah, and I can have a pastime with sharpening knives. And honestly, you guys don't care if my knives are sharp or dual unless I hand you one to use. I'm playing guitar. It really doesn't affect y'all. Maybe my wife or daughter would like me to be better. And so when I do decide to play, it doesn't sound terrible. But it doesn't bother y'all. But when it comes to being a profession, you got to be a lot better. The amount of work it takes to go from a pastime to a profession is huge. 
How many of you guys, by raise of hand, at some point in your life have decided to try running at least some distance uh, to, to pass time or to get in shape or whatever it is? Go ahead and raise your hand. How many of you guys have ever ran? Okay, well, wow. Um, not very many. Like three of you guys are healthy. Congratulations. I guess we do live in America after all. Well, let's say that you decide to run. Many of us could go run. If I wanted to, I could ask us all to stand up and head outside and say, we're going to run one cool lap around the church to start this service, and then we'll head in and sit down. But I know this isn't children's church, so I'll limit and refrain from doing that type of thing. But I could do that, and we could all go out there and run and pass the time running around the church, and then I could come back in and we could preach. However, I highly doubt, especially from the raise of hands that we just seen on how many of us have ever ran at all for any reason, uh, I doubt that any of us could run professionally. I doubt that we're going to see any professional uh, athletes in here running. Now, I know some of you probably sprinted in high school. I know some of you probably maybe even made it to a college level. Maybe, maybe. But I don't see any of you breaking any records or doing anything. Why? Because a pastime is just kind of shuffled in amongst other things. Sometimes I show up in knives. Sometimes I play guitar. Sometimes I shoot my bow. No pastimes. If I do them, great. If I don't have time, great. When it comes to profession, every day I'm either here at the church or I'm on a construction job doing something at a professional level, getting paid to do something in construction. And I am much better, per se, at construction than I am at sharpening my knives. I'm much better, and I'm not near as good as some of you guys in here. Y'all guys got me beat by leaves and bones. But I'm much better at what I do every day as a profession than what I am as a pastime. There's a bigger commitment for profession than pastime, and it shows in houses that I'm sure many of you guys have got the privilege to fix as well. Tonight, what I want to talk to you about as we come back to the Word of God is your faith of pastime or profession. And I'm not trying to say is your faith your job. I'm trying to say on a scale of how much you're putting into it, are we viewing our faith as a pastime or a profession? For many of us, when we look at our lives, if we step back, to some degree we would have to say the effort I'm putting in to my faith is a pastime. And so tonight I want to look at someone who I think by far we would all say his faith was far more than a pastime. His faith was far more than just a hobby. He wasn't just passing time with what he was doing. He wasn't just trying to pass the days. He wasn't trying to be casual about it. It wasn't a hobby. This is something he did for real. And I want to look at what he said he was still doing. The guy I'm talking about is Paul. A great church planner, perhaps the greatest church planner to ever live. At the beginning of the church, when the church was growing and the young church, you see Paul. Not only was he a church planner, but an author of many books of the Bible to the churches that he started that have for centuries been impacted in the way that the church that we're in today has been ran. A man greatly used of God, a man greatly used throughout ministry. A man who we would say throughout many sufferings, throughout many hardships, throughout many difficulties, his faith did not waver. In fact, Paul himself says, I've uh, ran my course, I've finished my race, and I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. And yet this is what he said he did to keep his faith at the forefront and in his pursuit of Christ. 
a pastime or profession. One Philippians chapter number three tonight. Philippians chapter number three. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. I'm going to read a few verses. Again, Philippians chapter number three. And the Bible says this. We'll read some verses later on before this and maybe some after this. But the Bible says this. Philippians 3, you know the passage, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Going from pastime to profession, looking at the life of Paul, what did he do? First thing we see in the life of Paul was a spirit of humility. A spirit of humility. Now, we know Paul as a great man, but Paul lists here kind of his Christian resume. You know, you say, what's a Christian resume? Okay, uh, it's pretty simple. First off, have you ever been saved? You know, yay or nay. Uh, how much do you give yearly? What missions do you fund? Have you ever been on a mission? Things like this. Paul gives his. Let's look at it. If you go back in the chapter, verse number four. Though I might also... Have confidence in the flesh. Paul says this, If any other man thinketh that he ha uh, hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. Paul says, look, if you think you can trust in your flesh, I could trust in mine more. And then he proceeds to lay out why in his time, according to the Jewish uh, philosophy and religion, he would have been a, a, a perfect or a spotless Christian. And this is what he says. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now to us, most of that doesn't make sense. But to them in that time, we're like, what, persecuting the church? Not cool. Not a good Christian thing, you know? Um, a Pharisee, when we read about Bible stories, Pharisees have this real bad vibe, real bad energy they're giving off. Typically, if you see scribe or Pharisee in the New Testament, you're like, hmm, something bad's about to happen. They're about to cause a problem. They're about to cause us think again. But you've got to understand that before Christ came, Paul was a Christian of Christians. Let me break it down for you. Let me give you an equivalent. I'm going to help you guys not think tonight. How about that? Paul would have been the equivalent of saying, I come from a church family, a fourth-generation church family. My great-granddaddy was a pastor, my granddad was a pastor, my dad's a pastor, and I'm a pastor, too. I come from a big church. Our church funds thousands of missions and thousands of folks. I've been on missions trips all around the world, and I'm going on one next month, and the month after that, and the month after that. I've changed the world for Christ. Oh, there are thousands of souls that have been saved under my ministries. I donate more money than perhaps the biggest businesses in America. I am in church every Sunday. I'm in church every Wednesday. To be a Pharisee, Paul would have known the first five books of the Bible, but let's say I can quote two whole books of the Bible. I can quote 300 consecutive verses of Scripture without stopping. I've preached giant sermons, and I have had a successful ministry. No one can point out an open sin in my life. In fact, to the eye of the public, I would be the example of perfection. 
That is the equivalent of what Paul was. And he says, look at all these things that I am. Now, we know on the flip side, that's Paul's Jewish side. And his Christian side, he doesn't list it here because he's writing to Christians and he wasn't done yet. Churches started in multiple nations. Missions globally. Largely responsible for the start and the growth of the early church. Books of the Bible written. And this is what this Christian has to say. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm all these things. Oh, if anyone thinks they're anything, let them compare themselves to me. And most people are like, see how powerful he is? Look at him. He's just stuck on all that he's done. But in fact, that would be true until you realize that Paul is taking that to simply say, I've not yet made it. If you want to take your Christianity from something that is simply a pastime, something that is simply a hobby, something that is simply what you do on Sundays, and Wednesdays, and maybe for a couple hours in the morning. The first thing is recognizing that you've not made it yet. You see, there is no desire to pursue what you think you've already obtained. I never forget one of the most embarrassing times in my life, and I tried to keep it kind of low-key right at the time, but it was not cool. The first wild game dinner that the church had where there was an archery competition, I was just getting into archery, and I thought that I was like Robin Hood himself. I mean, I thought that I could shoot great. And looking back, I couldn't shoot at all, at all. But I knew this wild game dinner was coming up, the competition was going to be there. And I knew how far, because, you know, my dad's a pastor, I knew the distances people were going to be shooting. And I practiced, and I practiced, and I practiced. And I was extremely confident nobody stands a chance to be me at this competition. I am basically already won. Hand me the prize. I won't even show up. Nobody has to be embarrassed. I'll take my bow and stay home. Everybody else can shoot. And they'll just wonder why there was only two prizes because I ultimately have already won. And on the last day, I remember before the wild game dinner, it was starting to get dark and I was shooting. I was so proud of myself. I was like, easiest win in history. And I come out to the wild game dinner. I see everybody, they got these fancy bows and all this fancy gold. And I just have this old bow. But let me tell you what, I was ready to win. And everybody lines up and they start shooting. Oh, and they're shooting great. They're shooting great. I mean great shots, but it doesn't faze me, no, because I've been preparing for this for months and months and months. And I know these guys didn't care, and I know that they weren't going to you know, bring their A game. Problem. I shoot the first shot. And it's this deal target. It's a paper deal, right, at 30 yards. And I missed the whole deal. The whole deal. And I'm like, so Nov's just calm down. You know, I just got to calm down. One shot ain't going to lose it anyway. Nobody shot a perfect score yet. And I'm about to with all these next shots, so don't worry about it. I shoot again. This deer target is on this round bale. Dave's laughing. He's, he knows. Miss the whole round bale. <laughs> A round bell at 30 yards. Do you know how big a round bell is? It's not small. It's like huge. Miss. I made a few decent shots. I missed the deal a couple more times. I had a few sticking randomly in the round bell. 
Terrible. Terrible. I think that was the lowest score of the day. The champion had a bad day, you could say. Yeah, your boy didn't shoot too good. He didn't have a great outing. Everybody's like making these jokes, you know, about, man, you should practice more. And I'm like, I practiced with every minute before I came here, unlike you, and yet I can't shoot. You want to know what happened after that? I went home. Everything that I thought I knew threw out the window. Started reading books, watching YouTubes, reading from guys who shot competition every day. You want to know what I started doing? Some of the stuff that I used to say, that is dumb. Why are you going to shoot like that? I started doing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Why do you want to use that site? I bought one. Why do you want to shoot that arrow? Yep, bought them. Why do you want to shoot that many shots? I'm shooting them. And you want to know what happened? Groups got better. Shooting got better. Next wild game dinner, I came in a third. One following that, I won. And I didn't even break a sweat. I didn't practice coming in. I just shot. Shot a perfect score. Took my prize and went home. The difference between the ultra who wins everything, me, and the ultra who misses a round bell at 30 yards, which is an embarrassment to anybody that comes from here, was here, I didn't learn anything. I didn't need to, you know, read anything, watch anything. I knew I was the best I ever had been. I just hadn't started my career yet. When I was humbled by missing a round bell on shot number two, I began to pursue the ultra that I was over here. Paul says, I have everything. And unlike me over here who is like, I think I got everything, he didn't say that. He's like, when it comes to being a good quote-unquote Christian, I'm it. But my mindset is that I've not yet apprehended. I've not yet made it. Now, none of us would be bold enough to say, my Christianity is flawless. Boy, let me tell you what, I've really made it. I've really done it. I am the epitome of Christianity. In fact, I'm probably the, the perfect Christian. You know, like, Paul is pretty good, and then there's like me, we're competing. None of us would say that. But when I couldn't shoot, the hours I spent getting to shoot, the time I spent investing in getting to shoot, the effort I spent trying to getting to shoot showed that I knew, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. The first step, going from a pastime Christianity, just something we do, to put in the effort of profession is a humble spirit that says, I know I'm not there. And I know I got a lot of work to do to get there. Step one, Paul says, I have inward humility. But also, let me show you this. Let me show you this. Two, he had a Christ-centered focus. A Christ-centered focus. Philippians chapter number three, verse number seven and eight said this. But what things were gain to me? Those I counted loss, watch, for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for, for what? The excellency 
of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dumb that I may win Christ. That I may win Christ. Not only, if we want to go from pastime Christianity, just kind of passing time, I'm here on Sunday, I'm here on Wednesday, but that's it. I'm not really committed. I'm not really all in on Christianity. I'm not living a Christian life that is always pursuing more. The first thing is be humble. But second, you have to be focused on Christ. This verse right here says this. A lot of times we read this stuff and we just blow past it and we don't even uh, stop to come back to it. It says, I, I count all things but loss. Now, we always read on, we say, yeah, because he's talking about knowing Christ. But he just said, I count all things but loss. How many of you guys are good at memorizing scripture? Hmm. Zero. Welcome to the club, boys. Right? It's hard for me to memorize scripture, and I'm 21. I feel for you guys, you know? Y'all are in bad shape. I see some people, and they're just rattling this stuff off. And I'm like, man, are you kidding me? Like, verse after verse after verse after verse. There was a guy who used to come preach at Pensacola. This is how he preached every time. He walks up to the pulpit, and he lays his Bible down. Older, older gentleman, who's standing there and look around. You know, smile a little bit and say, open your Bible anyway, or it's all good. <laughs> every time. So if we're all like, okay, but seriously, where do we open our Bibles? You know, <laughs> like, where are you going to preach from? And I think the reason he said that is because he never had one boast. He said, own your Bibles anyway, it's all good. <laughs> and then he would step right to the side. And this man would begin to quote scripture after scripture after scripture. He may pause for one or two statements, and then he would quote again. And no lie, the first time he came, I was like, okay, where do I open my Bible to? Okay, so apparently we don't know. And he starts quoting scripture. And I'm like, all right. Okay. Hmm, not bad. Doing pretty good. Okay. All right. Okay, show off. Like, let's just let somebody else read one. Okay, hold up, bro. This guy, guy goes like 45 minutes. Never stops. Keeps on quoting. But I don't think that he could quote five chapters of the Bible in whole. Maybe. I'm not kidding. 45 minutes straight, dude, never stop quoting. To be a Pharisee, you had to be able to quote the first five. Not just any five, the first five books of the Bible. And most of us can't even read through them. We do good. We make it through Genesis. And we're like, Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy. Okay, well, I'm going to take the month of half, second half of January, February, and the beginning of March off. And I'll get back into my Bible reading plan. Once we make it through the books of the law, because they are a drag. I can't read them. You're like, I've read this yesterday, right? Like, Yes. Okay, this was Exodus. Now Deuteronomy, that's the same exact verse, word for word, and then another genealogy that follows that. I can't. He had them memorized. And he said, all the time that that took, all the effort that that took, it's all loss. I'm not trying to show off with that. All that work, loss, loss. Paul, you used to be a superhero of the Jewish religion. Well, like, he was persecuting our church. But before he was converted, he was a superhero. He was doing things that everybody's like, wow, I want to be like Paul. He is the real deal. This guy is crazy. That's why he puts in there concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He's like, I wasn't just one of the guys sitting there talking about doing it. I was out there doing it, and I was good at it. I was persecuting the church everywhere I could find it. I was smashing them out. Loss. It's all loss. Why? For Christ. 
for Christ. When I was just down in Hillsville, I was talking to my uncle. Dude is crazy. Crazy. Y'all are going to think this is crazy too because y'all don't run. I simply asked this guy about his watch. He has a Garmin Phoenix 5, I think. It's super expensive, like fitness watch. I was like, you like watch? He's like, love it, love it. I was like, you run a lot? He was like, yeah, I run a little bit. I was like, show me how much you run. And he's like, oh, I had a bad day today. I ran two miles. I was like, I mean, that's average, right? Two miles, bad day, sure, whatever, for somebody who runs. And he's like, but I took these cool pictures. And he shows me pictures of, like, his, his course. And it's like, trail, big cliff, trail, logs in the road, you know, like, trail, rock over here, rock over here, rock over here, and you got to go, like, Spider-Man to get up. And he's like, yeah, I didn't do too good today. I got it in, like, 18 minutes and in 19 minutes. And I'm like, I don't even think I could get that, like, at all for a mile. And he's like, yeah, about 18-minute mile. And I'm like, is the whole course like that? He's like, yeah, I just grabbed these few, you know, but a lot of the courses I've on are just like this. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And he starts showing me his stats. He's like, last month I ran 156 miles. I was like, well, if you're running 156 miles in that, that's pretty good. And he's like, month before that was 257 miles. I'm like, hmm, good, okay. That's a lot of miles. He's like, yeah, look at these pictures I took. This was my 24-hour, 72-mile run. <laughs> Let me say that again. 24-hour, 72-mile run. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, it's a bad day. I got sick, and I spent the whole half the day and all night throwing up, and I just kept running. I'm like, what? What's wrong with you, man? Go home. And I'm just like mouth open. And he's like, yeah, let me show you these pictures. This is from my 12-hour, 65-mile run. I'm like, 65 miles in 12 hours. Some people's clothes don't go that far, man. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And then I asked him, I'm like, do you run like all the time? Is that all you do? And he's like, yeah, I've ran like 1,700 miles this year, man. I'm like, what? What is, like, genuinely, what is wrong with you? He's like, yeah, I just, you know, I've run a lot. I'm like, yeah, can tell you've run a lot. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And then he starts showing me from this event. We had people come and run for like 12 hours. Again, he's like, yeah, I had seven people come on 12 hours on my track at my home. And I just stopped him. I said, what is the deal with people running for 12 hours? Like, what's wrong? And he's like, no, I do that a lot. He's like, a lot of nights I'll get home from work and just go run on my track until the sun comes up. And I'm like, come again? And he's like, yeah, I mean, I'll get home from work and be feeling good and just go run until the sun comes up. And I'm like, you're joking, right? Nobody gets home from work, which he works at a sawmill, not a desk job, at a sawmill. And he's like, yeah, I'll just run till the sun comes up. Crazy. No, absolute lunatic. I asked him, finally, I'd had it. I was like, apparently this dude just loves to run for 12 to 24 hours. I said, why do you run so much? Are you trying to, like, win a competition or, you know, what are you trying to do? And he's like, well, I have a run club. I was like, are they, like, pushing you? And he's like, no, I'm better than them. 
By the way, in his own club are like Spartan athletes and like American Ninja Warrior athletes, champions who are not as fast as him. And he's like, no. I was like, why are you going all the time? No lie. This man tells me that he goes running for 12 to 24 hours, 1,700 miles so far this year, 256 miles in a month, while working a full-time job being married. This is his reason. Watch this. He just goes, just love drawing. <laughs> really. Just love to run. Nobody's giving you no paycheck. Nobody's giving you no medal. Nobody's giving you no nothing. You just love Devon. And he's like, I got this little like online website that keeps track of all my wins, but you know, I don't have to run as much as I do. I just love Devon. That's not a pastime, bro. When you get home and you run all night to the morning just because you love to run, something's messed up in your head. <laughs> That's it. Nobody loves to run that much. None of y'all even run at all. And he's out here like, huh, I've been a long day. Let's hit the track for 12 hours. Which is mountain climbing for 12 hours. But he loves to run. And to him, every time my mouth hit the floor, took him by surprise. He doesn't think it's weird to run for 12 hours. He doesn't think it's weird for his body to hold. I asked him, I said, how long can you run indefinitely, like on the road? And he said, I would never have to stop unless I like to eat something. <laughs> He's like, in the mountains, I can go for probably two days. But out here, I would probably, you know, I could just run for forever. He's like, I can do eight-minute miles for, you know, a 10K or 20K, something like that. He's like, but after that, I'll slow down to a jog, and I can just keep on going. And I'm like, because you love Dubon. To us, well, like, you are a lunatic man, not a chance, not no way, mm, no, mm. I ain't running one mile, not one mile. I'm not even coming out to run with you. You're weird, bro. Nobody likes to run. It's an exercise. It's not a pastime. But because he loves to run, to him it's worth it. To him, we're all crazy for not buying running shoes and going and running all night tonight. To him, that's a little bit off. He loves to run. And he doesn't understand to us why running is such a pain. I mean, his body hurts. I asked him, I said, does your body hurt after two? He's like, your body always hurts, man, but it's fun. <laughs> to us, he does. We're like, you're weird, bro. To him, he's like, y'all missing out. Paul spent his whole life pursuing the church for Christ. In Christian circles, Paul is the equivalent of what my uncle Paul is on the track. Oh, I'm like, man, you're nuts. I could never run that much. And in church, we're like, Paul was crazy. I could never do that much. I would never want to give of myself like that. Like Paul's whole life, bit by snake, shipwrecked, and then when he gets out, he goes back to the ministry. Then he gets beaten, he gets in jail, and when he gets out, what's he do? In the city, they just jailed him and beat him. He gets right back to preaching the road. Like, you're crazy, man. What's wrong with you? Why? You love Christ? To him, he says, I count all that lost for the excellency of knowing Christ. All these other things, all my losses, I count them as dung that I may win Christ, that I may know him. We say, Paul, 
was a Christian of all Christians. But Paul writes to the church and says, Now, I've not yet made it, but my focus is on him. And everything that I'm putting aside doesn't even bother me. I count it as losing nothing. That I may know Christ. That I may know Christ. Next, I want to show you briefly. We see first off his perception, both of himself and of Christ. Next, we see his preparation. It's preparation. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Paul says, okay, brethren, this one thing I do. So that tells us that the forgetting and the reaching aren't the one thing. The one thing's coming up on the next point. But he shows us a little bit of preparation. He says, this one thing I do, how I do it is by this, and then I'm going to tell you what it is. He says, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. I have this field by my house. You guys, most of you know where my house is. It's Broadhead. I live up on the hill. When you come into my house, there's a field on either side. And I have almost crashed on that little road more times than anywhere else in my life. And let me tell you why. Because up in the back corner of that field, you have to drive past it. And then you look out the passenger window. Deer come out and they stand there. It's the same deer that go down by my tree stand. And it is my habit when I drive down that road. If it's daylight, I look. If no one's coming, when I go past, I look up there. And you can't look 300 yards for a deer at like a glance. So I'll slow down and I'll look to see if there's any deer up there. Right? I want to see what deer are coming to my tree stand. And I have almost put my truck into FP's field so many times. I'm like, oh, there is one. Oh, that's a big one. Oh, wow, cool. You know, like, because you can't go forward when you focus on what's behind you. Logan, it's time. Come on up. Seth is asleep. I'm that boring? Wow. I can find you. Seth, will you come? I need you, actually. I can't. I can't replace you. Guys, I'm going down. You're going to want to switch your camera. Thanks, guys. What's up? How you doing? All right, cool. Come on, Seth. Wake up. I'm trying not to fall asleep. No, I know. You're doing good. <laughs> Stick with it. That's what I'm talking about. All right, you guys don't know this, but I do. I'm with these two kids all the time. These are two of the fastest kids downstairs, okay? Logan is unbelievably fast, like crazy, crazy fast. Kid is fast, like faster than a lot of teenagers. I guarantee you he could outrun it. Probably everyone in this building, bow none. Maybe minus myself. Seth, also very fast. Probably could also outrun most of us in the building. I've never actually raced these two guys, so this is first-time experiment. Congrats. You guys are going to race, okay? Will you line up right here in front of me? Okay. All I need you to do, run, touch, do not hit, touch the back door. Run back, first one touch my head, okay. hand wins. Yep, that one right there. All right, on your mark. Get set. Go. That was close. That was close. Okay, good job. Good job. I don't even know who won. Um, Y'all like touch my hand at the same time. I'm just like. I'm gonna give it to Logan because you hit the door and he just touched the door. But I'm gonna. Okay, so let's just say Logan wins. Don't worry. Logan, y'all know y'all racing again. Here's the deal. 
I need you to race again, okay, because I don't think that was your best, John. I think no, you can win wasn't. by more. Okay, you can win by more. Here's the deal. All I need you to do this time is when you run forward, he's going to go normal, okay, and come back. Just do what you just did. All I need you to do is run. The whole time you're running, though, you're looking at me. Run forwards, but look at me, okay? On your mouth. Get set. Go. Logan, I'm looking at you. I'm looking. Don't, no, don't look away. Don't. You got to look at me, bro. Come on. Why are you running sideways now? Yeah. Hey, Seth, Seth wins, and you didn't even run. Y'all have a seat. Go have a seat. Sorry about your loss, Logan. Don't know what happened. Man, Logan's like, I was actually going to win that time by a lot. Come on, man. Here's the thing. Crazy news. You can't run your fastest when you're looking behind you. Logan, do you agree with that? Yeah. Thought so. I, well, I mean, I didn't know. You might have surprised me, though. You might have slowed down dramatically. But you can't run your fastest when you're looking behind you. It doesn't matter what you're looking at behind you. Unless you're striving forward, then you're not going to be at your best. It is good to have memories. And it is great the memories we have at this church. Let me tell you guys what, one of my favorite services of the year was down on the river at the original property. Man, I just love, that was cool, bro. I was like, are you kidding me? This is where the church was started, and I'm here again having church. Like, how about that? This little piece of America has not yet been ruined. Um, I was like, that's cool. And I love looking at the pictures of our church. Maybe I'm weird, but I'm like, look at these old pictures. I don't know nobody. And y'all like, oh, this is so-and-so related to so-and-so. Her, her daughter, sister, that's who it is. And I'm like, rewind, bro. I don't know who so-and-so or so-and-so is right off the bat. So I don't know who this is. But I think it's cool to look at what the church was. I, I got memories of this church from when I first started coming. I got memories of the missions trips. The problem is... If I spend all my time focused on what the church was, I can't strive for what the church can be. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. For instance, let's say the church used to run 500 people. Doesn't matter today. Let's say the church used to be five people. Doesn't matter today. I love the memories, but I can't pursue anything more than where I'm at if I'm always looking at where I've been. Seth just goofed off and still absolutely beat Logan when he was looking at me. And nobody was surprised. When I told Logan to look at me and Vaughn, y'all like, Seth's going to win. <laughs> this is going to be a joke. Logan's about to lose. And Logan lost. Sorry. I'll make it up to you. But a lot of times, as Christians, we spend all our time... Uh, Man, I tell you, that was a good service. Man, I wish we could have revival like we used to have. Wish we would have meetings like we used to have. Doesn't matter the best revival that ever happened. Doesn't matter the best preacher that was ever here. Doesn't matter the best church members that ever filled these pews or the ones on the river. What matters today and what decides where we go from today is based solely upon us forgetting the past. And in forgetting the past, reaching to the future. And I do want to clarify, there is a difference in only forgetting the past and reaching for the future. Paul doesn't list one thing he does in preparation. He lists 
2. He says, forgetting those things which are behind, not being distracted by past events. Again, I'm not saying try to forget the, the church from the river. I'm not saying try to forget the good services. I'm saying don't let them distract you from moving forward. If something that's already happened is keeping you from moving forward at the fullest capacity, then that is a problem. Paul's saying set that aside. But don't just set that aside and wait on the next revelation. Reach. Let's all participate. Yes or no, does reaching take action? Okay, that was a terrible response. So we're going to go backwards. Everybody take your right hand. Reach forward. Some of y'all don't participate just like your kids. <laughs> I'm not surprised by their behavior anymore. Now, did that reaching... For those of you who chose to participate, take action. Yes or no? Yeah. yeah. How about that? For us to collectively reach as a church, I would love to say 100% participated. But I guess we didn't reach as a church. Just a few of us did. Might apply more than I think. Hmm. Um, for us to reach as a church, it takes action from each and every one of us. Paul says, forget those things which are behind, those things which are no longer happening, those events that might distract us from moving forward, those traditions that might be holding us back, those practices that we've always done but are no longer applicable. Forget. Forget that. And actively reach for the next thing Christ has for us. For me to simply forget and chill doesn't accomplish anything. Only when I say these things will not distract me and now I'm taking action and reaching for the next thing. Now if I'm reaching for the next thing and I grab it and I have it and it's gone, now I've reached for the next thing again and again. And again, I got to go fast because I got, I got points left. But I want to I wanna tell you all this. I love Taco Bell. How many of you guys like Taco Bell? I'm not trying to say it's Mexican. I'm just saying, do you like Taco Bell? Simple question. Okay, good. We like Taco Bell collectively as a unit. Again, some of us do not, but they'll get that right on the altar, and we'll move on. I love Taco Bell. The only thing that's terrible about Taco Bell is they have the worst service. The worst service. I've never been to a Taco Bell. Minus this instance I'm about to tell you about. Well, I roll in and can order my food in less than five minutes. You pull up to the microphone and you're like, is anyone home? Is it Bo? Can they hear me? Like, hello? And then finally, you're like, hello? And they're like, yeah, what would you like to order? And you're like, thanks for saying hello five minutes ago. And you're like, well, I would like uh, one of your chicken quesadillas. I would like a side sour cream. I would like a Mountain Dew Baja Blast. I like your know, cheesy festive potatoes. And they're like, I got a chicken. Uh, uh, what was that? I would like a chicken quesadilla. What's next, so? I would like a side of sour cream. We don't have any sour cream. I would like your cheesy fiesta potatoes. 
what's next? Okay, and this is the whole order. And finally, you're like, thank you. The food's probably cold by now, but thanks. Like, went to this Taco Bell in Harrisonburg. And now I've come to expect that slow system. So I don't even look at the order. Like, I don't even think about what I want when I get there. I just pull in. And then while I wait, I'll start to think about it. And I'll come up with like one item, and then I'll start talking to the wife. And when they finally say, hello, what would you like? Then I'm like, oh, I would like a chicken quesadilla. And then I just go back to talking. I'm not even thinking about my order anymore. And I wait for them to either say they don't have it or something like that. I went to this Taco Bell in Harrisonburg. I do the same thing. I pull up. But as soon as I pull up, dude goes, welcome to Taco Bell. What would you like to order? I'm like, what? I said, I would like a chicken quesadilla. And I turned to look at Danielle. And as soon as I'm done talking, he said, what's next? I'm like, I bet then. And I rattle off this long, specific order. And he messes up item number two. But I don't stop. I just keep on going, keep blazing through the order. And I watch on the screen as he deletes it. This guy's like five items behind now. And he plugs them all in. And then he says, let me read this back to you make sure I got it correct. And in a blow of words, he reads back my order. I say, yep, that's correct. And in like 22 seconds, I've done done this whole order. I'm like. I'm, coming, I'm going to drive up here to save time instead of going to Stanton. <laughs> as soon as I gave him one thing, he was ready. He was ready for the next thing, ready for the next thing, ready for the next thing. You want to know what happened? Man, my order went fast, fast, fast. I was happy. Taco Bell got more service. In, in other Taco Bells locally located, they do not achieve that goal. And the line is always very long, and people don't like to go there. The thing is, our goal as Christians should be, okay, whatever God's done in my past is not going to distract me from the future. I'm reaching for the next thing. And when I get it, I'm reaching for the next thing. And when I get it, I'm reaching for the next thing. Now, I got this thing. Ah, uh, there it went. Look at it. Oh, man, that was good. That was a good time. Okay. Don't basically don't walk out a local Taco Bell with your Christianity. That's what I'm trying to say. What is it that you're asking God for right now? You say, "Well, I just I just started this new ministry." Good, you got it. What is the next thing you're asking God for? Paul was writing in his letters all the time saying, I want to come to you. Right now, God has me doing this, 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 and that. But let me tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and schedule you out for a lot of you guys in construction. Everybody wants you to come right now. And your answer is never, I'll be there tomorrow. It's like, I'll see you in like three weeks. Have a good you know, month off, and then I'll be there. And it was like, Paul was like that with ministry. He's like, I'm always reaching for the next thing. And as soon as God gives me one, I'm there. I'm ministering to them. I'm writing this church. I'm trying to go to that church. And that is what makes. Paul, the superhero Christian. He could have chose to head down to, you know, any of his churches and uh, just chill there. And Even once they had a pastor, just chill there. And I'm not going to do anything, really. I just got beat. I don't need to go anywhere. But that wasn't Paul. We see Paul get beat and the next day journey to a new church to minister there and then leave there, make another journey to minister there. He was always reaching for the next thing. He says, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and I'm reaching forward to those things 
which overcome. And in doing that and forgetting the things which could distract me and reaching to whatever Christ has next. And as soon as I get it, I reach again. And as soon as I get it, I reach again. And doing that, what am I doing? His plan to press to the mark. To press to the mark. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We already covered this. But God's pressing takes effort. I'm going to hit you with something. Christianity. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about bare minimum. I'm talking about knowing Christ. I'm talking about relationship. Consistent relationship. Not someone I can talk to, but someone I know does not come easy. Surprise. Takes folk. A lot. A lot. Some of the most Christian or Christ-like Christians I know, I'll talk to them about their devotional life and their prayer life. Wow. My grandfather was one. Talk to him about his prayer life. Wow. I... Some days, my prayer life is like small and short, and that's it. It was not unusual for him to spend hours praying. Reading the Bible. And I know, for you guys, you're like, bro, I'm not lying. I straight up don't got hours. And I guess my answer would be that depends on how bad you want it. In our mindset, my uncle does not have 12 hours a day to run. Let me just break this down for you. If you run for 12 hours, you have 12 hours left. Okay? If you work for eight, okay, we got four. If you, you know, eat, or drink a cup of coffee, you're down to like three hours left. In my mindset, I cannot see how I would ever, ever have time to run for 12 hours. He loves running. He loves running so much that it makes sense to him to sleep for three hours out of 24, to work for eight hours or more and run for 12 and 24 hours. That, that makes good sense because he loves running. So often I feel that our Christianity is stuck as a pastime, just like me with the old knife. Oh, if I got time, bust out a whetstone, sure. If not, wait till tomorrow. With the old bow, if I got time to sling a few arrows, great. If not, it doesn't bother me. Like my guitar. Oh, if I got time, if it's convenient, 
If I got to pass some time, I'll bust out that old guitar and I'll play some of my old licks and play a couple songs. And how about that? I can still play guitar. But it's a pastime. I'm not winning no night opening awards. I'm not shooting in any old tree competitions. And you ain't going to hear me playing at any concert. It's just a pastime. Do I do it? Yeah. If you used to check my life out, would you see me doing it? Yeah. Am I trying to win anything? No. Paul says, I press to the mark. I give effort. Sure, it's not easy, but I didn't use a word that made it sound easy. I press. I strive. Using the example of a race, I'm pressing those last few yards of a race. You'll see the vinyls give everything. That's what Paul's saying. I'm giving everything. This one thing I do. With my life, this one thing I do. It's too much for me to do something else. This one thing I do. I press. Not all in devotional time. Not all in ministry. Not all in prayer. Not all in any one aspect of the Christian life. But rather he devoted his whole life. Christianity. I press. Why? For the prize. For the prize. What was the prize? That I may win Christ. That I may know him. That I may know him. I know I went a little bit long tonight. But guys, I want to ask you this, and honestly, I won't know what your answer is. No one will. Genuinely. Not to me, but before God. Is it a pastime? Or is it a profession? Is it a hobby? I'll be there on Sunday because I like church. And I'll be there on Wednesday if I'm not working. Good pastime. I spend enough time in my Bible to act smart, to look smart, and to be smart. That's about it. My prayer life, I guess it's good. I pray every day. Or is it a profession? This one thing I do. That I may know Christ. The only difference between me as a professional coping, though, professional, <laughs> and those DIYers messing up their homes, I've given a lot more effort to be good. And every day, I'm given a lot more effort to be better. The other day, my wife asked me, she said, what you eating? I said, I'm reading about tiles. She said, tiles. And I began to tell her what I was reading. A little bit later, she said, what you looking at? I said, I'm watching this video on tiles. She's like, why? I was like, well, I got a tile job coming up. A little bit later, she's like, oh, I think I showed her. I was like, babe, look at this picture of tiles. Now I'm showing her. She's like, I'm about sick of hearing of tiles. But I knew I had a tile job coming up, and I was like, I need to just touch up a little bit on my tile so that I don't 
mess this up. It took time, took that folk. Tone down, okay, I guess. Guess what I'm trying to say is this. Time, effort, and a love for Christ determine whether you stand here, past time, or there, profession. I can't decide for you. You can't decide for me. But I can tell you this. The only way to really know Christ is to be over there. Let's pray. God, it is a privilege to know you in any capacity. And God, thankfully for many, we know you as Savior. But God, tonight, help us all to honestly take a look within and ask, do we know you as anything more than Savior? When I look at Paul, I would have thought, man, he knows you. He knows you as good as he can. And he said, I've not apprehended. Give us all a mindset of humility, God, and one that's focused on you. One that God fuels a passion for us to be more devoted and to take God, often our complacent, pastime, hobbyist Christianities to a deep-rooted passion for you, that we may truly know you. Draw each of us closer to you, God. It's our privilege to love you. And we ask, God, that you would teach us and show us how to love you even more. And out of that love, how to live a life that brings honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all dismissed.